You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Hear you sing the truths of the gospel together loudly and worship King Jesus together. It's beautiful uh, to hear you sing uh, the truth of the gospel. So thank you for doing that. It encourages us as you sing. It encourages those around you to sing loudly and to think, and to think on the gospel. So I am super encouraged uh, now to step into a time of God's word. Uh, we're going to actually, as Pastor Ryan said, we're going to start a mini series on our marks of maturity. And uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in the pew in front of you and turn to page 997 to follow along with us. Now, we normally walk through books of the Bible together, but this morning and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about our marks of maturity, to confess the gospel, to be transformed by the gospel, to engage people with the gospel, and ultimately to multiply the gospel through disciples and churches from Wake Forest and Youngsville to all around the world. If you are not a believer today, it's my hope that you're going to see the gospel of Jesus. You're going to hear it, that you will respond to it, that you will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, as we come to the preaching of God's word, we call it preaching because we're going to look at God's word. We're going to hear what he has to say, not what I have to say. And I pray that this is a time for you to be encouraged and be strengthened together. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. These are the last words of our Lord and Savior, who was raised from the grave, who appears to his disciples, and this is the last thing that he says to them. These are his marching orders. This is what we're called to do. Our mission here as Covenant Hope Church is to grow mature disciples who impact their world for Christ. Now, let's be honest. That mission statement shouldn't be really any different than any other church around the world. Our mission is to make disciples. But the question, though, is how do we do that? This doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen haphazardly. We don't stumble into making mature disciples. It takes intentionality and purpose. It takes a process. As Pastor Ryan said five years ago, five and a half years ago, as we thought about how do we make mature disciples here? What does a mature disciple look like? It's someone who confesses the gospel, is transformed and engages and multiplies. That's that's how we look at maturity in following Jesus Christ. Now, discipleship or disciple-making can happen formally and informally, and we need that. We need both of those things to happen, right? Informally, that could be where you just invite someone to read the Bible with you, or you invite someone to to pray with you. You invite someone to hold you accountable. I know that some of our young men have 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 been on a call over the years at six o'clock in the morning to confess sin, pray together to start their day. That's, That's just an informal way in which discipleship is taking place, right? Discipleship happens when a mature Christian links their life with a less mature Christian and they grow in maturity together. But we also need formal disciple making. 
that when we look at what the church does, it's not just a list of or, or buffet items that you get to be a part of, but it's that we are walking through a process of disciple-making together. And that's a formal process. And we look at everything we do at how are we making disciples. But you might ask the question, how do we measure growth? It's a good question. How are we making a difference in the lives of of our own church family and in the people in our community? We could use numbers. We could use the numbers of how many people can we fit into this room? But that that kind of misses the point, doesn't it? Because we we could fill the room up and not make any disciples at all. That's totally possible. That we could fill this room up, fill all these classrooms up with children, and it still may not tell the true story. It's actually maybe a false narrative. The question then is, how do we measure faithfulness? Instead of measuring just numbers, we need to look at maturity through numbers. How many people are growing in their faith? How many people are in the process of disciple-making here at Covenant Hope? That's how we're going to measure faithfulness. Our aim is maturity, and our process is disciple-making. Now, I use that phrase, disciple-making, on purpose. If you're, if you're a guest, maybe this is your first week or maybe a few weeks that you've been here. This, this is really good for you to be here. Because the way we think about disciple-making informs everything we do in our church. Disciple making is both discipleship and evangelism. We don't want to separate those two things here. We want to make sure that those things are together and that we are learning the gospel regularly, so much so that it's overflowing out of us. So disciple making is the crux of why we are here. And this morning, we come to our first mark of maturity, to confess. We are a family of believers we confess the truth of the gospel individually and collectively. That's what we do. Last week, as we signed our church covenant, reaffirmed that. As we do that every year, we saw that. We confess the truth of the gospel individually and collectively. And so now we're going to reflect on what is a right confession of the gospel. Confession, often we think of that as just confessing sin. When you go back a couple thousand years we look at the early church and they had these confessions they had creeds in which this is what we believe about the gospel this is what we believe about God what is our confession our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord over all things and that he has come to save sinners like you and me so we must take this seriously. We, we are called to protect the gospel and to proclaim the gospel. We must protect the unity of our church by confessing the gospel rightly. So when we look here at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, here's what we see in the text. Paul is proud of the gospel because it is God's power to save anyone and reveals God's righteous character. Now, if you are a disciple, especially if you're a member here at Covenant Hope, what should you do today? What do we need to be thinking about doing today? We boldly confess the gospel is the only power for true change. The gospel is the only power for true change. Now, here in Romans, it's important that you understand the, just really quickly, is that the gospel is the theme of Romans. 
It's about God. It's about his gospel. And Paul just unpacks that. In verses 16 and 17, as we, as we come in here as a spotlight, it's his thesis. It's his main idea. It's his main argument. And he just expounds on this for 16 chapters. So what is this gospel? It is a divinely appointed message to be proclaimed that Jesus came, born of a virgin, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live and was handed over to be killed. And he hung on a tree, was beaten, mocked, scorned in our place. And as he hung on the cross, he was a sacrifice. When he committed his spirit to God, the Father, he took on the wrath of God on the cross for our sin. And he was buried for three days. But we're here today because he was raised three days later. That's the gospel that we confess. Now, there's, there's so many facets to that. There's so many deep crevices that we get to go into. But this morning, here in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, it outlines two truths about the gospel that we must boldly confess. Two truths that we must boldly confess. So, truth number one. The gospel is the power of God. Look there at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. With such a powerful statement, we look at that, what a beautiful, powerful statement that is, but we can't miss Paul's desire here. In verse 15, he says he is eager to preach the gospel. But why is he eager? He wants to preach the gospel in Rome because he knows it's the only chance for true change. He's not ashamed because it is the power of God. Or to put it another way, he says, I am proud of the gospel. It is something to be bold about. It's something that I boast in. Now, you know what it feels like to be ashamed. You, you've been, you've been in, in that situation before. Why, why would we ever be ashamed of the gospel, though? Maybe it sounds too simple. Maybe it's kind of foolish that we believe a guy got up out of the grave, if we're being honest. Why would we be ashamed? Maybe it's just too simple. Maybe it's because Jesus is the only way to know God. It's the only way to have eternity with God. And in our culture, that statement itself seems to be offensive. There could be reasons why you may be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says it's something to boast about, to be proud about, to be bold about. Because it is this Jesus that came to die in our place. Well, let's be clear about that gospel and why we should not be ashamed of it. Right? The gospel literally means good news. It's really the best news, if we're being honest. And secondly, it's good news because there was bad news. Right? You don't, you don't have good news without bad news, or at least the prospect of bad news. Here's the bad news. You were stuck in your sin. We were stuck, separated from God, unable to do anything about it. 
And God stepped into that in Christ. Thirdly, it's the good news that Jesus has overcome your greatest enemies. You may think your enemies are taxes or things that don't matter or or things that do like sickness and disease or struggles with family members who have walked away from the faith. Deep struggle. But our greatest challenge, our greatest enemy is sin and death. It's causing, we are feeling those consequences even now. And so this news is that Jesus had defeated both of those enemies by dying in your place. I heard one pastor explain it this way. The gospel is news not to come and fight, but news that the battle has already been won. We don't come and offer anything other than to receive the gift of this gospel. We should not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Now notice, it is the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation. Oftentimes we talk about salvation in terms of the past, right? I was saved. That's a a common phrase uh, that we use and that's okay and it's true. But salvation is much broader and deeper than that. It's a term that Paul uses here, especially in Romans, is to mean the total deliverance from sin and evil, past, present, and future. Our salvation is holistic. Salvation encompasses this holistic process of us being made into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, here are some big Christian words we like to use. Let me just explain them really quickly. In Christ, we have justification. We have been made right with God. God has declared us righteous before himself. Sanctification. We have been made saints. We've been made holy by God in and through the gospel. Now, Paul, he, he talks, he, when, he, when he writes to the churches, he says, to the saints at Ephesus or Philippi. And so there is, in one sense, we are saints, But there's also a sense in which we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We call that progressive sanctification. So there's these two aspects to sanctification. But then there's glorification. I don't know about you, but I kind of think about this world and think about my life in a way that's like, you know what? I wish I was, you know, my body was more like I was 20. That would be nice, right? It would be really nice if I just felt like I was 20 all the time. But I don't feel that way anymore. But in heaven, when Jesus returns, we will have bodies that have been glorified. There will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease, no more strife, none of that. We will be fully glorified in such a way that we will look like Jesus, be a reflection of him fully, that we were supposed to be like that. Except sin entered into our world. We will be fully alive when we are glorified. Salvation is also dynamic. What I mean by that, it's positive and negative, right? It's positive is that we are saved for God. We're saved to be made saints, God's people. We're saved for good works, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. But it's also negative that you are saved from something. You are saved from sin. You were saved from the slavery of sin. 
that you are also saved from the wrath of God. And church, it's, it's really easy for us to skip that. That salvation means that, that we are saved from God's wrath poured out on sin. And although that may be difficult and hard for us to think about that God would pour his wrath out on us, it's important because our God is a just God that must deal with sin. But how do we know that he's a loving God? It's because justice and love met in Jesus Christ on the cross. It is this gospel that is the power of God for salvation. It does not contain power. It is power. So when the gospel is preached, the power of God is at work. It's at work when it's taught, explained, memorized, thought about. The gospel is at work in your life by just thinking about the truth of it. The gospel is not steps on the way to change. It's the source of change. We don't have the power. We, we can't achieve it ourselves. You don't, you don't just set your new TV up and expect it to work. You have to plug it into a power source. We don't have that power. You've heard this illustration often. That, that the gospel is, we think about it as the diving board into Christianity, but no, no, it's, it's not just the diving board. It's, it's diving into the gospel. It is so beautiful and so wide-ranging that we get to keep swimming deeper and deeper and deeper into that gospel. The gospel is like a well. So I grew up, my, we have a well here, but I grew up uh, having a well at my mom and dad's house. And, you know, when I looked up, my dad would just talk about, yeah, the well's out there. And so it was in this concrete thing. And so when I was little, I was like, how does water come out of that? I was like, so, so astonished. that like, that's a lot of water coming out of that little thing. And that, I didn't know that actually the well, that, that cement encasing was just to cover the, the thing that went all the way down, the plumbing that went all the way down into the, into the earth. And so I, what I didn't know is there was much more to the well than just that concrete encasing. I know some of you like superheroes, and think about Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is Batman, if you didn't know. Bruce Wayne, he falls into a well when he was a kid. And all the comics and all the movies, they, they depict this in a certain way. He falls down into the well and he sees bats, right? So well, then when he gets older, he remembers, he becomes Batman. He remembers that this well that he fell into, you could go in this huge cave, which he names the Batcave. I guess you just should just name it the Batcave at that point. And so he sees it and he, and, he, and he gets to be there. But if you were to come to Wayne Manor, he's not just going to show anybody the Batcave, right? But, but there's way more to Wayne Manor than just what you see on the top of it. That's what the gospel's like. Yes, we see so much of it now, but it is so deep that we will never dig out the treasures to it, ever. Until Jesus returns, there is so much more to the gospel, and so may we never get bored with it. May we cherish it. The gospel is so powerful for change, church, that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is so powerful and active to reach people. It's not a lifeless message. The gospel is at work in our lives. Church, may we not forget that it is this gospel that proclaims the good news to us that it transforms our lives. It is so powerful to do that. 
So here's the thing. When we proclaim the gospel, you don't have the power to change anybody. We don't have the power to save anybody. But when the gospel is preached, God is actively working to sanctify you just as much as he's working to save that person. It takes the pressure off. We, have, we, have, we don't have to save anybody. We just have to, we just have to talk about the gospel and present it and tell of the story of what has happened in our lives. In our church covenant, we make that commitment that we will be a family of believers individually and collectively confessing the truth of the gospel. But one of those commitments is this. We will seek to grow in our knowledge of the gospel through a devotional pursuit of God. If this gospel is as great as we have just looked at, if it's as great as we say that we believe, then do we pursue it with all that we have? If we confess it with our mouths, but not with our hearts, there's a disconnect. Will you pursue the gospel devotionally, passionately? For the remaining four months of 2023, will you Pursue God maybe a little more by focusing on reading the scriptures intentionally. Will you focus on praying intentionally? Church, that's why we we pray every week. One reason is because we want to teach you how to pray. The Acts model is super simple. Adore God. Confess sin. Thank God for what he's done. And then ask God. That's four days right there that you've got. We've got you covered. Four days of the week you can pray those things over and over again and see what God will do in your life. Maybe you need to pursue the gospel passionately through confessing some sin in your life. Maybe you need to memorize scripture to help you fight temptation. Maybe you should grab someone to help you be accountable to read, to pray, to memorize. We can't do this alone. We do not just confess the gospel individually or collectively. It's, it's a both and, and we need each other to do that well. Church, we should not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God, and it's also the power of God for anyone, right? If we look there, again, it's salvation to anyone who believes. I'm thankful that, that Paul wrote these extra words here to the church at Rome. As a church, we confess the truth of the gospel, that it, it is for everyone who believes, Anyone can come to faith in Jesus Christ. This word believe is the expression of faith, that people submit their lives to trust in Jesus. Right, salvation does not come without an expression of faith. But notice that when faith is expressed, it's salvation, it's open to everyone who believes. The gospel is a gospel for all people. The gospel is available to all people. The truth of the gospel is that it is for everyone. This must shape everything we do as a church family. Individually, that it shapes our own hearts for the lost, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. It must shape everything we do as a church, that this is about the gospel's proclamation all over the world. Not just about our little tiny acreage here on Graham Sharon. Not just about this campus, but about the world knowing the gospel. Because remember, Jesus said to go and make disciples. 
This must shape everything that we do, from our sermons, to our songs, to our equipped classes, to our missional communities, to our discipleship groups, to serving. Everything must be shaped for the fact that this gospel is for everyone. The gospel is available. And he continues, he explains to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. The gospel was revealed through God's plan of redemption and restoration. Right, God called out Israel. We're seeing that in the book of Genesis right now. We see God calls out Abraham and his family is the family that becomes Israel and this is God's people. God works through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to declare his promises to them, the promise that he made to Adam and Eve. God worked through the Jews first so that the world may know the gospel. The Jews prepared the way for the Messiah to come into the world. The gospel was still for all people. Even then, it's just God's priority. His plan was to do that through the Jews. Now, we see this. People like Job, people like Rahab, people outside of God's covenant family, we know that they are believers, true followers of God. They believe and trust in the promises of God. But his plan was to prepare the world for the Messiah through his people. This is what Paul means by by working through the Jews and then to the Greeks. Now, church, we boldly confess the gospel is the only power for true change because the gospel is the power of God. But the second truth that we confess is that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God and it also reveals the righteousness of God. Let's make sure we understand, though, this phrase, the righteousness of God. The Old Testament expression means legal standing. Think about it in a courtroom. The judge, the jury can declare someone innocent or guilty. This is what God does. Remember, we are declared righteous by faith in the gospel. We're innocent now of our sin and no longer guilty. The gospel declares that God has done what is necessary for people to be made right with him. I want you to hear this. God righteouses his people. He makes us righteous. The righteousness of God is also being revealed in that it is this something new. It's never happened before. It's not something we know naturally, nor can we find it ourselves Right? We're not good. If we look out into the world, we say there's a problem with the world, and it's that we're sinful. But it's really easy to listen to other voices who want to tell us, just follow your heart. Do what you think's best. But we, we can't find the gospel. We don't have the power of the gospel without God revealing it to us first. And that may be hard for us to accept. But if we're honest, when we look out into the world, when we look inside of our own hearts, there's something broken. There's something wrong. And the gospel confronts us like a mirror and shows us what's true. And so church, we we are not good. We're not righteous on our own. We did not know God. We could not find God. You cannot be a Christian from birth. That's not how it works. You must Confess sin, repent, and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to be made righteous, to be made whole. So how is it revealed? Look there at verse 17. 
For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For in it, that's the gospel. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. So it's revealed from faith. By right standing, righteousness is not something that we have on our own. Rather, we receive it by our standing in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith. What, that, what Paul means here, it's clearly seen in faith. Now, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Church, we do not gain righteousness by doing things for God. God does not love you more because you do more for him. That's not how it works. God loves you already. And he sent his son because he loves you already. And when you confess the gospel of Jesus Christ, he loves you the same. And he invites you to experience that love fully in Jesus. When we believe, when we confess the gospel. Often we think becoming more like Jesus is just getting busy. Or just doing more stuff. But none of that saves you. You will just be exhausted at the end of the day. Doing things for God must start from a place of receiving salvation. Yes, we want you to serve. Those are all good things. But it cannot start with you trying to earn God's love. It's already been demonstrated to you. Salvation is a gift. Serving is the response of receiving that gift. Now notice the place of faith. Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. This is super hard. Uh, Paul's using some sort of phrase that they would understand. But what we think this means is that faith is first and last. It's the only thing that is revealing the righteousness of God. God's announcement to the world that Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. When we express faith, that's the only way that the power of God, that the righteousness of God is being revealed. That a way, a way for sinners to be made right with their God. And so we trust, we place our faith in Christ. And it's that gospel that declares this is who our God is. He stepped into the world to save us. But Paul continues, and he says, just as it is written. So he's going to quote an Old Testament passage. The righteous will live by faith. So it's revealed from faith, but it's revealed in life. Now, the reason we hold on to this confession of the gospel, the reason it's so important that we get it right, is that the gospel makes dead people alive. He doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. And here in verse 17, Paul quotes Habakkuk, not to speak to how the righteous will live in a daily sense, but how they can live at all. The gospel is revealed in the fact that dead people are alive. When I was in the 11th grade, I sprained my ankle. So we, uh, it, it, was, it was my junior year. We had just come off the, the playoffs playing basketball. I didn't have a great season, didn't play a whole lot that, that Friday night. I was super frustrated. Go, go to, the, to the county uh, gym and, and we're playing that morning. I turned my ankle really badly. It was a third degree sprain. They said it would have been better for you to, to break it than to, to sprain it this way. And so I couldn't walk. 
I, could, I couldn't even drive myself home that day from the gym. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And so what they do, they gave me cr- crutches. I don't like crutches. They're not fun. They hurt your arms and, you know, it, it, it's just not fun. But you had, you had to use crutches to move along. Oftentimes people will say that Christianity is a crutch for us to get around in this life emotionally, intellectually. It's just, it just makes it easier for us to get along. But let me be really honest. That's, that's, actually, that's actually being generous to us. The gospel is not a crutch. The gospel is the stretcher by which we live on, right? That we are dead people made alive. We don't need crutches. We need stretchers. We, we need something more than just to help us get along. We need something to make us alive. And that's what the gospel does. The greatest demonstration of the gospel is that we now walk in faith once dead, but now alive. The greatest demonstration of God's character, the greatest demonstration of God's power is to bring people to life. I mean, think about that for a moment, about how amazing that is. Right, it says, the gospel is not revealed in anything else but the fact that Jesus makes dead people alive. Think about it. God brought 10 plagues down on Egypt, 10 of them. And that's not how the righteousness of God is revealed to the world. God spread open a sea in which his people could walk down. That doesn't in and of itself reveal the righteousness of God. God provides food out of nowhere on the ground when his people wake up in the morning. Israel wins battles with 300 people against thousands of men. That doesn't reveal the righteousness of God. Paul is clear. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel that anyone who believes is brought from death to life. That God sent his own son, begotten, only son, to die in our place. This is why we take confessing the truth of the gospel so seriously. We know that it's the only power for salvation. It's the only power for true change in our lives. And it's the only way that the righteousness of God is revealed to a lost and dying world. And you are a part of God's plan for doing that. That for those of you that have, that have received the gospel, you now get to share that life with anyone you come in contact with. So, so it leaves us with a question. So what does our right confession lead us to? What, what should we do? What must we do? There's two things. And there's lots of things that we could talk about, but two things here that I want us to think about for the rest of 2023. What, what do we think about? What do we do together? Well, number one, we must protect the gospel. We must protect the gospel. We are a family of believers who will confess the truth of the gospel individually and collectively, right? We must know it. We must know the gospel. If we're gonna protect the gospel, then we must know it. You've heard this illustration before. How do they teach cops to find counterfeit money? They study real money. They don't study fake money. They study real money. They can feel it. They can smell it. They can see it. So when they come across counterfeit money, they feel it. They see it. They say, yep, that's not the real stuff. How do we know what's a counterfeit gospel? 
by knowing the true gospel, by rehearsing it to ourselves over and over and over again. We preach it to ourselves. We remind ourselves. We remind each other of it. We sing the truth of the gospel every Sunday together over and over and over again. It's not that we must protect the gospel's ability to save people. That's not what I'm saying. That isn't what we're saying here. But we must protect the gospel's purity, its completeness, its accuracy when held up to the scriptures. We must protect the expression of the gospel here. This is why we take membership so seriously. We ask each person to explain the gospel, to share their testimony. Because we, it is our job as a church family to protect the gospel. It's not just my job. It's not just Pastor Ryan's job. It is our job. It's your job to protect the gospel. And we must know it. We must call each other to live worthy of the gospel. To confront one another when we see sin. So that the world, when the world sees us, they see the power of the gospel at work. This is why we take disciple making so seriously. Because the gospel is so important that we all need to know it. We all need to to cherish it. We all need to think on it. This is why Sunday mornings are so important for us. Equip classes where we learn more and dive deeper into the gospel for our children to to hear the gospel over and over again so that they may express faith in Jesus. So that we may know it deeper. That we may know it in our missional communities throughout the week. We may experience it and be tangible expressions of that together. And especially our discipleship groups where people, we walk through the gospel, how to read the Bible, but how, how does it help us protect the gospel and hand down the faith well? We must protect the gospel. But secondly, we we must proclaim the gospel. In no way should you leave here today, should we leave here today thinking that disciple-making is just an intellectual endeavor. Instead, what we believe in our minds and our hearts must flow outward in all that we do. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, and it does so through you. Sunday mornings is a time for us to proclaim the gospel to show the world that there is something different about us. That we would give up our time, our energy, our talents. Right? A bunch of us yesterday came and we we put mulch around a playground that another church built for us because the gospel is that important to serve one another. We're just going to give of ourselves. Sunday mornings are important, they're priorities. Because the world sees what we make priorities. And when we say what our priorities are, that's what we really believe. And parents, let me encourage you. What we make priorities now is what our children will make priorities. And when we loosen those, it's going to be a whole lot easier for our children to loosen those as well. May we make the gospel a priority in our lives by being committed here as a church family. The gospel is revealed through us in our service to our community, through our missional communities that we do life together, and then we take that life into 
our jobs and workplaces, into the downtown Youngsville, into the neighborhoods, that we, that we call people to respond in faith, that we serve them in kindness. And I think somewhere we need to grow, church, is our, our evangelism conversations, that we, that we invite people into knowing Jesus, that we want, we want this place to not just be full of, of Christians, yes, but we want this to be a place that continually covenant hope reaches people who do not know the gospel. That you invite them into what we're doing. That you serve them. And they become connected to the church through one of those means. Church, we must protect and we must proclaim the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who will believe. And if we believe that, it must then define who we are and what we do. Church, will you commit to confessing the truth of the gospel individually and collectively by protecting and proclaiming the gospel? These were the last words of King Jesus. These are his marching orders. And remember, he is with us always to the end of the age. Pray with me. God in heaven, we are amazed at the beauty of your gospel. We're amazed at the the lengths at which you went to save us. We're amazed at the depths of the gospel both its truths, but also its impact and power in our lives. God, would you help us cherish it? Would we not get bored with it? But would we preach it to ourselves over and over? Would you use our church family to speak it into our lives over and over again? Would you help us hold on to the gospel Would you help us encourage one another? God, would you make this church a gospel-centered church, if nothing else? Lord, we need you, and we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit.